let's say you're addressing an audience of CEOs and say, are you tired of photocopying? Um, <laughs> are you fed up with making tea for your boss? Um, do filling in timesheets uh, and, and clocking into work day in, day out, does that make you mad? Well, come on a journey with me and I'll show you how you can photocopy more quickly and have more time to... <laughs> I don't know, drink coffee and do your nails because it's irrelevant to them. You've just demonstrated to them that you do not recognize their world. Yeah. Hey, this is Shayna Jocelyn Sams from flifflifestyle.com. And you are listening to our friend Ash Roy at ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Today's guest is an expert at profitable lead generation and is also the author of the self-help classic, How to Get a Grip. He's also an excellent speaker and was described by our common friend James Schramko as being one of the best speakers he's ever heard. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Matthew Kimberley from MatthewKimberley.com. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you for having me, Ash. Very happy to be here. Honored to have you, Matthew. So, Matthew, could you talk to us about public speaking and why it's such a powerful tool when it comes to lead generation? Sure, absolutely. And I, I believe that public speaking isn't something that you have to do. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. You know, it's that there, there are many, many, many ways of generating leads. There are many ways of getting your message out. There are many ways of affecting people, affecting people and getting them, you know, being effective in your message to people. You could do direct mail, you could do email, you could do Facebook ads, you could do it, um, you know, cold calling, you could do it behind the scenes, you could do it in front of the scenes, you could put your face front and center, or your face could never be seen at all. Um, the reason, so if you don't want to do public speaking, don't feel you have to. You okay. know, uh, the public speaker's life is not particularly glamorous. There is a frisson of energy and buzz and excitement and enjoyment while you're doing it. And typically there's, you know, an awful lot of travel either side, living in airports, and things like that, living on airplanes, being away from your family. But I believe that the more ways that you can affect your audience, your target market, your prospects, your, um, you know, your potential clients, um, the more quickly you can earn trust. Now, if you're writing somebody an email or sending them a letter, they will perhaps read the content and perhaps absorb it and perhaps pay attention and perhaps take action. If you attach your photo to that same letter, mm -hmm. um, I believe that and studies show that um, you will have more of a, an impact, right? Yep. So um, they'll say, ah, okay, I, I've got to, I can put a face to these words now. Mm -hmm. If they know what your voice sounds like, so if you can accompany your message with your own voice, there's going to be an added level of, uh, an added level of personality, an added right. level of um, knowledge of the person you're talking to, and knowledge is required for trust building, uh, knowledge of the person who you're talking to. You know, we reward people with their trust, uh, when we feel that we know them well, when they do what they say they're going to do. Um, if you were to record a video uh, and get your message across that way, then you're, you know, it's, it's infinitely more effective. Um, even if people don't say, you know, I'm, the, I'm not a, people uh, in our market will say, you know, I'm not a huge fan of consuming videos. They go too slowly for me. I prefer to read. That's fine. But people watch TV. People do watch videos, you know, whether they watch marketing videos or, or, or uh, commercial messages on video uh, through preference is neither here nor there, but everybody watches TV or has watched TV in their life. So um, you can affect people 
uh, and move them, which is what we want to do in our, in, you know, in, in our business. We want to move them to do something yeah. or move them to go away. That's okay <laughs> as well. Um, we can do that more effectively when they can see us, when they can watch the way that our mouth moves, what our eyes are doing when we're speaking, what we look like, what our accent is like, whether our face backs up the words that are coming out of our mouth or whether we're being incredibly insincere. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on video and you can click out of the video and, um, you know, there'll be a dozen distractions around you and your phone will be ringing and you'll be doing an email at the same time or the dog will be barking or the kids need feeding selfishly or whatever it is that, you know, is going on in your life. But when you have a captive audience in a room in front of you who can smell you, who can watch you who can watch how you interact with other people, who can feed off your energy, who can't move from their seats very easily. Um, You you can move them in many more ways than you can with any other medium. It's not particularly efficient, um, but it is incredibly effective. You know, what's efficient is dropping $1,000 on Facebook ads and reaching um, maybe... 25,000, 500,000 people in your target market with a targeted mm-hmm. message. That's efficient. Yeah. Um, traveling to, like I'm jumping on a plane to come to your part of the world on Saturday, traveling to Sydney mm-hmm. to speak to a room of what, 200, 300 people who are in my core market is not particularly efficient. But I firmly believe, um, and you know, certainly in my decade or so of experience, um, I've seen it to be true that the power of your message, the power of the delivery of your message, the engagement levels of your audience, and the uh, likelihood of your audience doing something, um, even if it's just taking on board your message, it it might not necessarily be running to the back of the room or buying your program or, or buying your book or whatever it might be, is infinitely more likely when they can consume you in the most holistic manner possible. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's possibly even more effective than one-to-one, you know, because you've got the position of being on the stage. Because mm-hmm. if you can um, manage the energy in the room and when you are literally on the podium, then you're afforded a certain authority Yes. Um, just by dint of being on the stage. And as we know from Cialdini and other people, authority is absolutely necessary and essential if we want to persuade people to take action. So that's why I'm a firm believer in public speaking. It's also a, a lot of fun. And I believe that you know, some people do sit through videos and say that made a remarkable difference to my life. Some people sit through books and say, you know, we've all got books that we say, wow, that, that really grabbed me. Mm. Um, but I believe that more people are more frequently moved by live speakers, by good live speakers, than are moved by uh, anything through any other medium. I love that answer. I love how you put that because you didn't make any absolute statements. You said generally more people are moved by live speakers than they are by books. And I like how you stepped it in progressive elements where you included the photo and then the voice and then the video and then the in-person. I really like how you explain that as a hierarchy. Well, you know, Ash, you should, you should never, ever, ever use absolutes. <laughs> That's right. You should, should I, never use absolutes. Absolutely, yeah. That's a great point. And I also really appreciate the point that you made, that public speaking isn't as glamorous as it is made out to be. And so thank you for bringing that element of reality to the situation. 
Oh, listen, you know, there's, there's a huge, I've, I've got many friends who are professional speakers, many friends who are amateur speakers, uh, many friends who speak to market their business, many friends who sell from the stage, and all of us enjoy it, right? There's, there's, you can't complain about it. Your family can complain about it. Yes. Um, you know, he's never home. She's never home. Yeah. Um, she's been on the road. I, I had a very light year last year compared to some of my friends and clocked up over 110,000 miles um, in planes. And that was very light, you know, for compared to compared to some of my colleagues. Um, it, it, it's not particularly glamorous, but there are great perks. And I believe that speaking is a lifestyle choice. You know, it's not scalable. Um, it's a great way of, set, of spreading a message to the right people. Um, but any speaker who does it, who has been doing it for a long time, still loves it. They still love getting up on the stage, feeding off the energy of the people in the room, particularly if you know those people want to be there, if they've paid to be there, if they are self-motivated. You know, my experience of talking to um, you know salaried customer service employees. Um, at a mandatory corporate get-together is less exciting than going to speak at an event where people have paid multiple thousands of dollars to listen to you. So and where the stakes are higher. Yeah, and I think, and, and, and I think that's true. You know, there, there some, some people will be more engaged, and when people pay, they pay attention. Uh, and if they have to be there, I also do some corporate training, um, and uh, I do it because I enjoy it, um, and I really do enjoy it, but, you know, the highlight of my work is working with people who are uh, who've paid their own way, who are, who have a lot of skin in the game, who are self-employed. And when I say, "Have you got any questions?" Their questions uh, are not, "What time is lunch?" Or <laughs> yeah. if I say, "Why are you here today?" Um, people will say, "Because I want to learn this, this, this," not because you know human resources told me I had to come. <laughs> right. <laughs> so true. I guess it's the performer in us that makes us want to perform on a stage where the higher the stakes, the more invested we feel and the more enthusiastic we feel about delivering a spectacular outcome. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Not everybody has that performer in them. Some people would rather not speak. And I, I think, you know, that's good because if the world was full of speakers, I think everybody can speak. And I think there are, you know, strategies that you can deploy and lessons that you can learn and definitely training that you can do and books you can read. Um, uh, but I still think, you know, it's nonsense to say that everybody is. I don't think you have to be a natural speaker to be a good speaker. Uh, I think it certainly helps if you bask in the limelight. I'm sure there's some psychological profiling tool which would say, you know, um, this particular kind of profile enjoys being on stage and this type doesn't. Um, but uh, for those of us who are natural performers, it's, uh, it, it, it does wonders for your business. You know, credibility and authority and uh, reaching the right people who are motivated and captive. You know, we shouldn't discount the power of a captive audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they can't go anywhere and they don't have any choice but to listen to you, even the most cynical um, audience member can be moved uh, or transformed. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of the great joys for me is, is, is when I get up on stage and people who don't know me perhaps are sitting near the front, uh, perhaps on their mobile phones or with a stern look on their face, you know, and I can make it my, my uh, mission for the 45 minutes that I'm on stage, I can make it my mission to make them smile and get them sitting up and get them taking notes. Great attitude. Fantastic way to approach it. Because I can think of a lot of people that would find that intimidating, but I really like how you said you can make it your mission to deliver such good outcomes or such good delivery that you will move them 
to open up to you. Okay, so speaking about performance, let's talk about the difference between selling versus performing on stage and how are they different? I'm very keen to understand more about this from you. Um, I think, you know, in the words of Dan Pink, we're all like uh, we're all selling something all the time, no matter whether we're getting our kids to go to bed or people to appreciate your message and learn your message or listen to what you have to say because you have an important point. You know, we're all selling, you know, to sell is human. We're all selling something all the time. Um, so I certainly believe that the job of any um, speaker is to sell. Uh, you know, my business partner, Michael Port, runs a... Um, an organization called Heroic Public Speaking. To my mind, he is the best public speaking and performance teacher. Him and his wife, Amy Paul, are run, run the, the single uh, most comprehensive training program for public speakers, public performance in the world. I have no doubt. Um, talk, if you want to ask me about that later, you know, I'd be happy to, happy to share with you. Sure. But he says that you know, you've got to deliver something when you get on stage, you've got to deliver on the promise that you make. And that's, you know, I promise that if you come with me on this journey, then there will be a new reality available for you. If it's, you know, Al Gore teaching you about um, uh, how you've got to wake up and pay attention to the environment, mm -hmm. whether it's, um, you know, Donald Trump telling you, um, you've got to come with me on this journey and get me into the White House because the you know the future is bright orange. If you if you if you right. uh, come with me on my journey, right? Then um, then we've all got, uh, and it might just be you know here 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 are here are th here are three things that you need to do every morning if you want to be more productive between the hours of nine and ten. You know it doesn't. Or here's how uh, if you listen to everything I say, then you know I want to sell you on my information because if you listen to this, you will know how to clean your car. Yeah better than you've ever cleaned it before. It doesn't have to be world-changing, but it does have to change their world. If I see, you see what, what you I mean. mean. I absolutely do. Question. Yeah, sure. Ash, uh, you said you have to deliver on the promise. Now, I just want to unpack this a bit. So is that the promise as in the headline of the public speaking event? Like if you're saying, I will teach you in this speech how to listen to the environment. What's the promise here? Is the promise the headline? So this, this material is 100% Michael and Amy Port from Heroic Public Speaking okay. and uh, Steal the Show. Um, and I've you know studied alongside Michael, worked alongside Michael for years and years. Um, and I take on board everything he says and, and he's made me a... I was already public speaking before I met him, but he's made me an infinitely better performer. Every, every performance that you give... And it's not a bad idea to look at it as a performance rather yeah. than a speech. Um, should should have a big promise and a big idea. Uh, everything. So it doesn't matter what the event is called. It just matters what happens during the time that you're on stage, whether it's 10 minutes or 25 minutes or three hours. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a big idea and you've got a big promise. Um, the big idea is... Let me give you a concrete example. So, um, so I have a keynote, right? How to sell the 16 principles of, of uh, professional persuasion. Um, the, the big idea is that there are 16 principles of professional persuasion and you have to check them all if you want to become a more um, effective persuader or salesperson. The big promise is that when I share these with you, and you implement them, then you will become a better salesperson. Right. Okay. So the big idea is um, uh, we're running out of um, natural resources. Mm -hmm. And the big promise is if you listen to me and you do what I say, then tomorrow doesn't have to be quite so grim. 
doesn't matter, but you have to have a promise. Um, the big idea is that um, there is a more effective way of cleaning your car. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got that. Uh, and the big promise is that if you stick with me, then I'll show it to you and your life will become better. And you've got to recognize their reality and say, you know, I know where you are today and your reality can be different tomorrow. And even it doesn't matter what you're talking about, that principle applies. And you've got to meet them where they are at that time as well, don't you? Absolutely. You've got to show them, again, you know, purely, purely uh, not my material, but um, uh, material that I live by. You've got to say, I recognize your world today. So empathy is very important. Empathy is a good word. Yeah, you have to recognize that you're, you're in the trenches with them and, and the, because that makes you relevant, right? You can't walk into a group of uh, CEOs. Uh, so say you're addressing an audience of CEOs and say, are you tired of photocopying? Um, <laughs> are you fed up with making tea for your boss? Um, do filling in timesheets uh, and, and clocking into work day in, day out, does that make you mad? Well, come on a journey with me and I'll show you how you can photocopy more quickly and have more time to, <laughs> I don't know, drink coffee and do your nails. Because it's irrelevant to them. You've just demonstrated to them that you do not recognize their world. Yeah. Whereas if you walk into a bunch of CEOs and say, um, are you fed up with um, dealing with problem employees? Do you wish that people would leave their emotions at the door when they check their coats, when they come into the office, they were hyperproductive? And everyone's nodding their head and saying, yeah, yeah, I recognize that. Um, do you worry about um, shareholder meetings? Yes, yes, yes. You know, because you've just, rec- you've just acknowledged their world. Yeah. And you've said, there is another way. That's the idea. And the promise is stick with me and we'll show you the other way. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Now, I actually interrupted you. I apologize. You were telling us about the difference between selling and performing. And you did say that it's a good idea to think of every speech as a performance. That's not a bad way to look at it. And how does that then differ from no, it's, selling? It's the, it's the only way to look at it. Actually, it's not just a, not a bad way. It is the only way to look at it. You, you've got an opportunity to make a difference to the people in that room. They've either paid, or even if they haven't paid, you've got your own professional pride, right? You don't want to be the second best speaker Mm. at any event, even if you're not competitive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not particularly competitive. I'm really not very competitive. It's not not something that's part of my makeup. I'm very happy to uh, be in second place or be in the shadows. But you don't want people saying... Uh, I'm very happy if someone say, you know, Matthew was excellent and, and this guy was really, really good or this guy was even better. That's great. But I don't want people saying, yeah, it was quite good. His information was okay. I don't want that. I want people saying, wow. Yeah. And don't we always want that? Mm. Don't we always want, whether we're talking to employees or, or lovers or mm. audiences, we always want to be giving uh, the best performance that we can. Yeah, well, we have the desire uh, to contribute and to move our environment in some way and make an impact. Sure. And even if you don't, and we do, I know, but even if you don't, then presumably pride and self-motivation should be enough. Sure. Uh, I'm self-motivated to do it. I'm not motivated for you, perhaps, necessarily, but I don't want you to write me as a, a five out of ten. You want to be a professional. Yeah, exactly. I gave uh, great information in a boring, monotone manner. You know, that's my problem with some of the TED Talks. And I think the information in TED Talks is absolutely stunning, you know, or, mm. almost always. Good point. TED Talks, the information is great, but yes. sometimes the delivery really depends on you saying, so this guy's a TED speaker or this girl's a TED speaker, so I've got to pay attention. Yeah. You know, very often they don't give performances. They give fantastic content every single time. Yeah. Um, but a little bit of contrast, a little bit of excitement, a little yeah. bit of a journey, a little bit of a story would never, would never get missed. And that's, you know, a broad generalization, but, um, you know, a lot of TED speakers aren't speakers. They're experts who are sharing a message. 
Yeah, and that's always interesting. You know, I think I think expertise is always attractive. I think confidence in uh, your subject matter is always attractive. But when you can dress it up, the most mediocre gift in the world can become a wonderful experience if it is handed to you on a silver platter, accompanied by a mariachi band um, with dry ice and uh, three people dressed as clowns delivering it, right? It's the delivery which can make the experience fantastic and make us appreciate the gift of the content even more. It's about um, entertaining them and taking them on a journey, as you said. Entertaining or provoking or making them think, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the difference between selling and, and performing is, you know, with the proviso that we're always selling something out of the way. If you, if what you're wanting to do is get people to run to the back of the room, to you know, whip out their credit cards and enrol in your program right away, or buy a copy of your book, or or something similar. There are, you know, people who are great experts in this. I defer to people like Suzanne Evans and uh, Lisa Sasevich and Dave Van Hoos and uh, you know, people who specifically teach selling from the stage. It's something I can do and, and, and enjoy doing. You know, they, they will tell you that there are certain stages, certain buttons that you have to press during your presentation to get people into the buying mode. You have to get people saying yes from early on. You know, a series of small commitments eventually leading to a greater commitment. You've got to absolutely include elements of urgency and scarcity and social proof if you want to move people to take action right there and then. Urgency like, um, you know, you've got five minutes to do it. Scarcity like the first 10 people will get a special bonus or um, there are only 15 of these available in the whole world and this offer will never be available outside of this thing. You've got to get, you've got to get people, you've got to take them on an emotional journey, which I think is good for, for all performances. I think it's, you can't just give a good compelling performance or a good compelling speech um, and then say, and if you want to buy my program, run to the back of the room. You've got to train your audience to do your bidding. Um, and if you watch any of, any of these great salespeople, they have a, a certain number of common traits, some, some where these traits more obviously than others. But the number of times they ask the audience to say yes or put their hand up is phenomenal. You know, if you ever count it, it will begin with, okay, so raise your hand if you would like more clients. Okay, um, do you understand what I'm saying? Say yes, people. Say yes. And they will literally say, say yes, say yes, say yes, all the way through. Do you know what I mean? Yes or no? Yes. And I've seen some of the best, you know, people who sell from the stage do this phenomenally well and really hammer it home very, very hard to the point where I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Saying, but hang on, they've already said yes. But then come on, say yes now. I've seen people turn a room of people who were a little bit reticent um, by doing a very, very hard sell at the end of 15 minutes of already selling and then and then just doubling, doubling, doubling down, kind of double or quits. You know, I want an extra 10 people up on the stage here right now or it's not going to happen. I think it's um, good speakers, I believe, will always be able to fill their business if their content is good and their products or services are well-priced and they're compelling experts and they know what they're talking about and they're prepared to have sales conversations after the event or in the follow-up or whatever. I think a lot of people who sell from the stage successfully have a different approach to the presentation. You know, the purpose of the presentation is to get credit card details. Mm. And I think people who don't sell from the stage, perhaps paid professional speakers who get paid for the performance, not because they give the performance, mm-hmm. may, you know, are less fussed about the credit card details, which often, I believe, leads to a better audience.
audience experience. Yeah, look, I've got to say, I attended one event that I can specifically think of here in Australia, and this particular speaker just kept asking the audience, yes or yes, yes or yes, and effectively giving them no option but to say yes, and just hammered the audience all the way through. And I found myself going, okay, you're really getting on my nerves now, and I'm not going to buy what you're going to sell. So, Sure. There will always be people that we're meant to serve and people that we aren't. Yeah. Um, I believe that many of the people who sell from the stage as a full-time living have fantastic programs and they have found that marketing and sales avenue that works very, very well for them. And there will be people who resonate with that and there'll be people who don't. You know, the whole idea of magnetism is that you are simultaneously attractive and repellent, right? You've got to have a north and a south. So it's okay Ash, that you felt turned off. It's okay <laughs> that you thought this is too much because they weren't talking to you. So they were doing their job. They were repelling me because I wasn't the iron filing. I was. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, or you were the iron filing, but you were, you know, they, you were looking at their ass instead of their head. <laughs> right. And this is, this is really unfair, but I'm going to give it because it's a good example. This, this isn't uh, applicable to the selling from the stage, but I think you'll see what I'm getting at. Um, Nigerian scammers, are they called 419 scammers? The guys who yeah. send you emails saying, you know, I am the long lost widow of Kofi Annan or, you know, yeah. someone who's still alive. And then, you know, they'll pick someone who's still alive and they'll say, I have $1.2 million locked up in a bank account. I can't have access to. I need you to, you know, be my partner in this so they can send the money to your address in Australia uh, and then we'll split it 50-50. Is that okay? Okay, yes. And they'll deliberately include an outlandish story. They will deliberately um, include unlikely scenarios. The, the, the emails will be very unprofessionally written. Um, and this acts as a filtration device wow. for to repel smart people and to attract dumb people. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they deliberately use unikely scenarios because they want the kind of people who and dumb is unfair because you know I know yeah, smart people informed or... uninformed yeah that's absolutely right um that you know they 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 want people who don't have that natural suspicious naturally suspicious filter you don't want people going into business with you if they're naturally suspicious and slightly cynical you want the people who take everything at face because value they're not your target audience correct so if we transpose that to the public speaking stage, uh, or sorry, the, the people who sell from the stage, mm. they don't have the same derisory attitude towards their audience, or they wouldn't be in business. You know, they love their audience, and they respect them, and they admire them. But their target market are the people who will respond to that type of approach. Great point. Um, and that's what you have to know. You have to know your audience. Um, and you know, people like you might say, I prefer something a little bit more cerebral. Yep. Um, I prefer to do my own thinking and I don't like to be rushed. That's great. Go and join somebody else's program. For those of you who are ready to commit to take action based on enthusiasm and based on the fact that you know me and trust me and believe what I'm telling you, let's do this right now because we're going to do great work together. And if you fall in love to the degree that you're going to give them their credit card details at the end of 45 minute or 90 minute speaking slot, the chances are you will do great work together. Good point. Absolutely. I totally agree. I'm happy. Beautifully put. Okay, so let's talk about how one becomes a better public speaker. As we said before, not everyone can be a great public speaker and as much as not everyone can be a great musician or a, or a Picasso, but we can all speak and we can all improve our speaking skills. So for the audience, for the people who are listening now or watching this video, how does one go about improving their public speaking skills and what specific actions can they take? 
So firstly, you go to heroicpublicspeaking.com, you sign up, you watch all the videos, you join all the programs, you attend Heroic Public Speaking Live, which will be taking place in November in Fort Lauderdale. Um, And I say that only slightly tongue-in-cheek, in In fact, not tongue-in-cheek at all, you know, you get a great teacher. Mm -hmm. You get a great teacher. If you want to become a world-class athlete, you get a world-class coach. If you want to become a a world-class musician, you get a world-class teacher, or you probably get a series of world-class teachers. If you want to become a world-class painter, you must go to art school. Yep. You know, it's you, the example you gave, Picasso, he studied his entire life under the tutelage of, of you know, his own teachers. So the idea, um, you know, and some people have the natural proclivity towards being better, more entertaining uh, speakers than others. Some people are, I believe, natural storytellers. But even those people recognize the importance of um, learning. So if you decide that, you know, it's something that you want to pursue, either because you're very bad at it and you want to improve or because you're very good at it and you think you can be better, then you find a great teacher. Uh, And it doesn't matter who that teacher is, although it should probably be Michael and Amy Porter who wrote public speaking. (laughs) Um, but you get, you get, you get, you do directed rehearsal. There are so many components to giving a great presentation, a great keynote. You know, everyone is going to be the same. If you're a professional speaker, you're probably rotating two, maximum three presentations your entire career, or at least at any one time. You know, nobody comes up with something new every single night. Um, that's ridiculous. Um, uh, and that means that you've got to learn, um, but you have to be able to improvise around that. So you've got to study improvisation. How do you think on your feet? What makes a joke work? Um, how do you address audience questions? Is there a particular way that you should stand on stage to make you appear more credible and therefore grow your confidence and legitimate credibility? Um, if you rehearse in front of a mirror, it's probably the worst idea ever because right. you know the mirror doesn't give you feedback. You've got your own bias about what you're seeing, either negative or positive in the mirror. But what about if you rehearse in front of a group of people? What about if you rehearse in front of a director? What about if you take the script or the presentation and get that um, reviewed and reviewed again by a script consultant, by a, a professional a uh, copywriter what if you get um what if you get rehearse that presentation so you know backwards and inside out so you can be completely sidetracked by a question or a fire alarm or a, a clicker that doesn't work on your presentation or somebody throwing you a curveball or a heckler and still be able to effortlessly pick up where you left off because you know your material inside out what if you um rehearse that material in front of a live studio audience and so you can see what works and what doesn't. What about if you rehearse it twice, three times, 20 times, 50 times, 100 times? What about if every time you give that presentation, you treat that as a rehearsal and rather than just coming off the stage, cracking open a beer and heading straight to the conference bar, um, you sit down and you analyze when you got the jokes, when you didn't. What about if you watch a video of every presentation you give and said, did I do the right thing with my hands then? Was the pause... I gave at the end of that sentence sufficiently long? Did I allow the audience to answer the question that I asked them? Um, did I make it easy for them to answer the question? You know, is it, is it always a mistake to ask the audience a question if you don't know what the answer is going to be? Mm-hmm. And if they don't know what the answer is going to be? Yes, normally. Um, you know, there's so many different components to this. The world's greatest stage performers study this for years and years in in theater school you know yes you always hear about the anomalies like jennifer lawrence who were picked out of a crowd in a shopping mall and went on to become a hollywood um you know highly paid star but the vast majority of jobbing actors have gone through at least 
three years of, of drama school uh, and often a lot more and then they've you know cut their teeth on the boards and, and why do you think you should be able to do any different if you're sure. uh, a speaker you know the 10,000 hours concepts which I believe was Malcolm Gladwell was it yeah. um, said you know if you, if you can do your 10,000 hours then you become exceptional that's true but what about if you can do 10,000 assisted hours 10,000 hours on your own versus 10,000 hours with a coach with a teacher you can go to things like Toastmasters, you know, if that's, if that's what you've got in your neighborhood and you just want to hone your chops, you can go somewhere like that. Um, I would actually, and, and this is an, uh, an organization for amateur speakers, right? Oh. Um, I would go to an organization for professional speakers. You know, right. What about people who live and die and feed their family by the performances they give? Get as much help as you possibly can. Go to comedy classes, go to improv classes, watch the greats, analyze what works, what doesn't work. You can never do too much study for something like this, and you should never stop with the self-criticism. doesn't mean that you shouldn't congratulate yourself. You should definitely sure. congratulate yourself. It's very, very difficult to get up on stage unless you've got a, a smidgen of self-confidence. But what about if you adopt an entirely critical and professional line? Say, I want to get up there. I want to be the best. How am I going to do it? Does that mean you have to invest money in it? Uh, normally, yeah. Hmm. You know, like most things, if you want to be really good hmm. at something, you either get a scholarship or you pay. Yeah. <laughs> um, good stuff is worth paying for. Yep. Uh, that's how I would think about it. If for whatever reason you were stranded in the middle of nowhere and, and you had zero access to teachers or live rehearsal, I would read everything I could find about it. I would read Steal the Show by Michael Port 10 times, 20 times. I'd read any other book about becoming a great speaker. I'd read books about comedy. I would watch endless YouTube videos on, you know, I, I would watch with a critical eye those TED Talks, what worked, what didn't. I'd read books on storytelling. I'd read books on sales. I'd read books on persuasion. Um, uh, I would attend any number of webinars offered by any number of people at the moment about how to become a better speaker. Um, and, and, and you should commit your entire life to it, I believe. Wow. The minute you rest on your laurels is the minute that you get lazy and you, you risk not giving your best performance, which would be a great shame. Hmm. Well, that's a very, very comprehensive answer. Thank you very much. That's a great set of tools and options that a listener can act on if they really want to do it, ranging all the way from joining a professional group to something less professional like Toastmasters or getting books if they don't have access to the funds for a professional group. But as you said, it's very important to put in 100% of your effort. And your comment about Jennifer Lawrence, even people like Jennifer Lawrence, they still work very hard and they still have a great work ethic from what I can tell. I should think so. That's probably why she's one of the most highly paid right. people in the, in the industry. Yeah, I've absolutely no doubt. My, my point being that even though she was lucky and she was picked out of a shopping center and she was very quickly made into Hollywood, luck still favors the people who really put in the effort as opposed to people just landing in a fantastic position and becoming really successful at their craft. They still have to hone it. Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. And, and, and yeah, I mean, we can't discount raw talent or knowing your strengths. Um, that's very important, but you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely true, Ash. You know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah. Wake up early, work hard, strike gold. Eric Clapton trained, what, 12 hours a day for 15 or 20 years before he got really good. So Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the biggest challenges then when it comes to public speaking. I've noticed 
the biggest one that's most obvious is people just go, they get really scared about public speaking. And you read all these statistics about how some people fear public speaking more than they fear death, which to me sounds ridiculous. But there's all this hype around the fear of public speaking, that it's becoming a fear in itself that needs to be overcome. What other challenges have you seen people face and what's the best way to overcome them? You know, I think, I think fear in the face of danger is wisdom. And I'm sure that's not something I came up with. I probably read that uh, maybe even quite recently. But if you are afraid, it's probably Game of Thrones or something. You know, if you are, I'm sure it was Game of Thrones. You know, I'm afraid. Does that make me a coward? No, that makes you wise. Yeah. Because that's when you're meant to be afraid, right? It's right, your self-preservation right. instinct. Fear in the face of danger is is great. But there is no danger in public speaking. There's the danger of embarrassment. Beautifully put. Um, and and there is no danger to be had there. So you will feel fear because everyone does. Like everybody, even the best speakers feel slightly nervous. Uh, well, they should do before they go on because it means the stakes are high. Yeah. Uh, and the stakes are always high if people are counting on you to teach them something. Mm-hmm. So uh, the minute you just dial it in is the minute it becomes dangerous and you become sloppy and you can get sideswiped. And how do you deal with that fear is is a great question. You know, I, th- I think if we can thicken our... If there are some exercises that I've never had a problem with public embarrassment or making a fool of myself. And I do have a fear of not looking like I know what I'm saying. So I like to manage expectations now. You know, I will mug a lot and say, you know, I don't know the first thing. Just if you were to listen to me, then I'd probably say something like this. You know, I like to manage expectations down. Yeah. Um, Seth Godin says, you know, make big promises and over deliver. I prefer to make very, very, very small promises. You know, big promise like this can change your life. But really, that's that's where we that's where we're, and then and then deliver and over. But there's a trap in that too, though, Matthew. Because if you don't make a big promise, then you're not going to get people to even pay attention to your offer i'm being I'm, i i agree with you you have to make a big promise um i think uh yeah, my natural brand of humor is very self-deprecating oh okay so i can make a big i can make a big promise for example um i you know, have a presentation a performance a speech i open and it says you know for a long time i was the worst salesperson in the world and sometimes I made a, you know, sometimes I got lucky. And if the worst salesperson selling the worst product to the coldest market can sometimes get lucky, then there's got to be hope for us. Hope, yeah. Got to be hope for all of us, right? Right. right. Okay. So that's, that's, that sets the stage, right? So based on all my years of failure, I eventually found something which increased my luck. Now, I promise that if you stay with me, I will show you how to become a better salesperson just like I did. Are you happy to do that? And they've done that. You've made a big promise. The big promise is I'll make you a better salesperson. That's great. You know, that's worth paying any amount of money for. Sure. Uh, But it's not being delivered in such a way that it's bombastic or hyperbole filled or or similar. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think fear is a big one. If there is some kind of exposure therapy that you can do to thicken your skin or to make yourself more comfortable with some form of public embarrassment or, or having people look at you as you trip up um, you know maybe that's what you do maybe you go out in the street with your pants around your ankles and fall flat on your face and do it 10 times and the first time it's mortifying and then by the 10th time you're just bored with it you know exposure therapy works to a certain degree um, I still think I would be mortified if I didn't know my material and I've forgot my lines and there's just no excuse for that I mean a real real bad case of stage fright can make you forget your lines. But if you're someone who has decided that they're going to commit to some form of speaking, you've just got to know your material inside out. You've got to know it inside out. Because even if you look at a sea of a thousand faces uh, looking up at you and you start to sweat, you can focus on that one person in the front row and just tell them what you know. You know, just let me tell you 
Uh, you can recenter yourself if you know your material inside out. If you don't know your material, you don't know your presentation. If you're dependent upon your slides, then you can start to, you know, make a fool of yourself. You know, um, and that that would be mortifying for me. So under preparation is probably the biggest mistake that people make. Great point. So you've got to know the material so well that even if the slides disappeared, you would still be able to talk. Absolutely. You should, you know, you don't have to know what's on every single slide, although you probably should do. You know, I'm not, you don't need slides. You know, I give, uh, I give one presentation I have without any slides. Uh, it's like a, a chess master knows a chessboard, right? You always know where the pieces are. Yeah. Uh, another presentation I, I give does use slides. And I do enjoy the slides. I could deliver it without slides, no problem. Absolutely no problem. But I believe the slides enhance it slightly. Sure. Okay. But yeah, you should be able to do it without slides. Yeah. Cool. All right. Now let's talk about some of the books that have had the biggest impact on you and why. In speaking or generally? Good question. I prefer to talk about it in speaking, but actually, now that I think about it, I'd love to know what has impacted you as a person too. So both. Absolutely. I'm just looking over at my bookshelf over here. Well, one's got to be by Michael Port. Oh, well, you know, in terms of the books that made the, the biggest difference in my life, hands down, Book Yourself Solid yep. by Michael Port. No doubt. Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port um, changed my life completely. I was running a recruitment company in Belgium, feeling utterly, utterly miserable uh, with my life, making um, company was doing very well, uh, and I was not doing very well. And so uh, read Book Yourself Solid and everything changed. Wow. I became the head of the Book Yourself Solid School of Coach Training after a number of years, and now you know, partner in the business. It is applicable to anybody who owns a business. They will get something out of it. It doesn't matter what your business is, pick it up. It's evergreen. It, it's it's fantastic. With regards to selling, I think that I've read so many good books. You know, anything by Zig Ziglar, the classics, but also um, David David Sandler's "You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar" is one of the most underrated and incredibly useful. And I don't, underrated is probably not the right word. It's very very highly rated, but I don't believe it's well enough known. Right. Um, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar by uh, David Sandler, uh, who founded the Sandler Institute, which is the worldwide sales sales training organization. Absolutely fantastic book. Excellent. Um, if you want to understand you know, how to influence people. Coming to that, you've got Influence by Cialdini. Yep. Um, principles of persuasion. Um, which absolutely, you know, mandatory reading for pretty much anybody who, who ever sold anything. Mm-hmm. Um, Steal the show for public speaking. I haven't read an awful lot of public speaking books, uh, to be honest. Um, I have read Steal the Show a couple of times, and I'd recommend it very, very strongly to anybody who's serious. It's a, it's a unique take on how to give a great performance. You know, Michael Port, the author, has um, many, many years of professional performance experience. He did an MFA, a Master in Fine Arts, one of the best schools in the US. He was a professional actor for many years, stage and screen, right. you know, big screen, little screen, adverts, voiceover. He's, he hasn't created a book which is, you know, how to get paid speaking gigs or the seven steps to being a professional speaker. He's written a book about how to be a great performer for people who want to be professional speakers. You know, a lot of people who teach public speaking say, you know, you won't get paid to speak, you get paid because you speak or something similar. Yeah. You know, you get paid because you because you speak in yourself in the back of the room or because people hear you speak, they'll buy your books. Michael says the opposite. Michael says, no, you know, in my world, plenty of us get paid real money to speak. You can't just wing it. You know, either you've climbed Everest or um, an Olympian, Paralympian triathlete, in which case you might get, you know, paid or a former US president, you get paid handsomely to speak. But paid speaking is within the grips of anybody. And in order to do that, you've got to be world class. You've got to be heroic. And this is how to become a, a world class public speaker. And that's in um, Steal the Show. 
by Michael Paul. And I read nonstop, you know, too many to mention, but certainly the ones that I keep coming back to in my professional career yeah. are the ones I just mentioned. Cool. Well, I'll definitely include them in the show notes for sure. And how do listeners find out more about you? And is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? I just want to say a huge thank you to you. And uh, Ash, it's been a, a great conversation. I, I'm truly, truly grateful. Uh, thank you. For I appreciate that. You being sufficiently interested in what I have to say to pick my brains. I hope you know uh, it's been useful to you and anyone who's listening to this. And if you are listening to this and you want to find out more about me, I would love to hear from you. And the best place to go is matthewkimberly.com. You can spell that pretty much however you like, but it is spelled L-E-Y.com at the end. Yep. Um, I own all the other permutations of the domain oh, name, good. I believe. Smart move. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, and actually, you can go to mjk.im, yep. uh, Mike, Juliet, Kilo, dot Indigo Mike, and that will yep. also take you to my website. Go there, cool. give me your email address. I'll give you a free uh, guide to the way that you should spend the first 15 to 20 minutes of your day in order to have more friends, supporters, lovers, clients uh and make more sales cool well i'll definitely include that in the show notes as well thank you so much for being on the show it was an absolute pleasure to have you thanks ash i'll see you soon thanks matthew so there you have it an excellent discussion about public speaking with matthew kimberley who really is one of the most authoritative and complete speakers i have ever heard it was an absolute honor to have him on the show. Now, some of the biggest takeaways for me from this show were, Matthew said, it's not particularly efficient to be a public speaker, but it's incredibly effective. You get a lot more cut through, even though you don't get as much reach. If you're looking to sell from stage as a speaker, then it's a good idea to get people into buying mode right from the get-go. So you get a series of small commitments leading to a greater commitment. You create urgency, you create scarcity, you provide social proof, you take people on a journey. You effectively train your audience to do your bidding, which was an interesting strategy, something I wasn't aware of. I really liked what he said about how magnetic messaging can actually attract the right audience and also simultaneously repel the wrong audience. So it actually serves two purposes. Your messaging should self-select your audience. The biggest and most important takeaway I got from this discussion was that if you ever want to become a public speaker, it is important to practice, practice, practice. You need to know your content inside out. You really need to rehearse it tens, if not hundreds of times. And you've got to know the content like the back of your hand so that even if you didn't have the slides available at the time you were doing your presentation, you could still pull it off. Now, before you go, I wanted to mention that I've got a special offer for people who have subscribed to my email list. If you head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash podcast hyphen setup, you can get yourself a special deal for a concierge podcast setup service that I'm currently offering. The service consists of six sessions where I help you set up your podcast from scratch. I help you to create a podcast strategy, help you to come up with a good quality bumper, which is an intro and an outro. I help you to name your podcast, define the podcast objectives, include music for professional sound, integrate with your WordPress site, and actually walk you through creating your first three podcasts with the editing completely done and published for you on your WordPress site. couple of caveats. I do need to speak to you for about 20 minutes to get a quick look at your business and see how the podcast can best add value to your business. I am taking only a limited number of clients, so please be sure to go to the following page, 
productiveinsights.com forward slash podcast hyphen setup and click on the get started button to book in a 20 minute free session with me to have this discussion. Personally, I have found that podcasting has been one of the best decisions I've made in my business. It has built authority very quickly and has a massive amount of cut through and it's working really well at the moment. I will include a link to this page in the show notes of this episode so you can find this podcast setup link there as well in addition to all the other links that I will also include in the show notes. So that's it for today. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comments section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?